What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, as you can see, my special guest is none other than Sir David Coverdale, a superstar, a gentleman, an Englishman, singer for Deep Purple and White Snake, and one of the coolest dudes I've ever met, and a consummate professional and rock star. Sir David, thank you very much for being here. Oh my God! I, that, that either either it's your rhetoric or the morphine suppository has just kicked in. Just thank you, thank you so very much. Indeed, my pleasure, Joseph, to uh, to see you again and chat. Um, we've had this experience once before, which was extraordinarily rewarding. And you know, right back at you, I'm a huge fan of your work. And fuck you with the singing aspect. Just stick to the fucking guitar if you'd be so kind. <laughs> no, you sing. It's beautiful. When you found your voice, you know, you were playing the guitar. I didn't know you were a child prostitute, you know, so that was... Oh, yeah, we're, some, oh, something. I understand that's a typo. Child's prodigy. Uh, but you didn't think right. the voice was part of the thing, and your voice is so natural organic and absolutely in touch with the lyric that you're talking with and 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 uh, it's it's just a beautiful uh sight to see and hear when you're singing and playing kicking ass so Thank you, right back at you with all Thank of these you, sir. and we so both love i have a question um we both love the blues who blues who was the host Yes, I, we're going to knock that tie off next week in our merch. Um, you know, <laughs> who is who is your host? Like, like who who put music front and center for you? Where you were able to go? Oh, I like this. I like that. And 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 so much where you you were going to get involved. You're like, I want to be a singer. I want to like, oh, you know, find this oh, voice. That came much later. The uh, my mother's side of the family were all the voices. You know, I, I grew up on not blues, but Irish blues, Irish rebellion songs. You know, blues to me is another word for personal expression. You know, as we've discussed it before, it's just a beautiful, right. all-encompassing right. word. Um, but Irish rebellion songs, so all that um, uh, that stuff. And my aunt was uh, a teenager, so I'm six. She's probably fourteen. God rest her soul. And she would spend all her pocket money or allowance on singles, et cetera. So she's the one who let me, this kid, in, uh, stand in front of this gigantic piece of wood with a giant speaker in it, putting like sharp needles in and playing Jailhouse Rock, Elvis President, playing right. Little Richard, Dear God Almighty, how do you sing like that? I was a kid. My whole ambition yeah. from the age of seven was to be an artist. But I've always been a romantic realist, so I studied to be an art teacher and a graphic design artist, so there'd be potential employment or whatever. Music didn't come into, right. you know, I'm like the Billy Elliot story, you know, uh, this, this person in a strange environment and wanting to burst out, you know, uh, and, and certainly to become a singer in the industrial north of England uh, was just too ambitious for anybody to imagine. Mm. But the, the, the blues aspect I got into was uh, another universe moving in strange ways. Um, the music lesson when I was in secondary school, maybe 12, you know, 13, uh, the music teacher was ill. And the only uh, teacher with a free lesson was the science teacher, right? Big old pipe smoking right. guy, he'd come staggering in with a school record player. He said, 
he was the only one with a free period. He said, I have no idea what to talk to you about, so I'm just going to play you some records that I like, and proceeded to play Lead Belly, proceeded to play Sidney Boucher and all this. The majority of my friends were just like giggling and laughing at, you know, at, uh, at the, the quality of the Alan Lomax wire recordings or whatever, field recordings. But it just made the hairs of my neck and hands stand up. And he was a great, he entered Bill, Bill, uh, Big Bill Brunzi and all this, and I was off, you know. What do you think it is about the blues that resonated so much in England in particular? Because, you know, in America, these guys were either didn't have record deals. They were working, you know, regular jobs and they would, they'd done these recordings and they, you know, there's the stories where they sign, you know, they, they find Sun House in Rochester, New York. And, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, the, uh, night you know I played, the night I played uh, Chicago with Deep Purple, Muddy was playing in like a wimpy bar. God bless him. You right. know, it's just breathtaking. Um, you're coming out of the second world war and most of the nation was without you know, I don't know whether you right. ever saw a super Roddy Dowell uh, movie called The Commitments, Alan Parker. It's, uh, mm-hmm. they would call themselves Irish soul, you know, because they had the same experience right. as the African-American. This, you know, certainly treated, I'm surprised they even speak to us Brits, really, you know, but uh, right. you have all industrial areas. You must know when you're playing out there and you're playing the blues, the biggest response comes from, industrial areas where there's a lot lot more pressure on people than wooded enclaves, <laughs> you know, they've got more to release. Right. And that's the, uh, and yeah. literally before the Beatles, for God's sake, I thought everything was black and white, you know, <laughs> suddenly right. the Beatles brought right. in Technicolor, you know, even the local cinema didn't have the facility to play colored, you know, um, not colored movies. How it sounds awful. Uh, Technicolor movies. movies. You know, in in in, in there were the, the picture was in color. You know, it's like as you see it with yeah. your eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was a miraculous uh, scenario. But the actual music that the Beatles put, started brought color into our lives, and you know. The Yardbirds was a favorite. They'd take songs from Harpo, Billy Boy, uh, Big, uh, Billy Boy Arnold, which I still love to this day. Mm-hmm. And, and they'd put a voice to the frustration and repression that we'd have, you know? So it was right. blues music and soul music was like huge in the North of England. Blues and soul was immense. It was really underground clubs and stuff, but it was just huge. Otis Redding, you know, reggae, when it was called ska or blue beat. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an amazing, I lived close to a port, so there was an awful lot of import records that come in, the same as the Beatles would get them on Liverpool. I was on the other side, Middlesbrough, you know, but it, it just connected with me. The same when I saw Hendrix, I have no idea how to articulate what it brought out in me, you know. That was one of the seeds of my ambition because he was just tied it all together and put it in an amazing blender before they had blenders. <laughs> right and you know um were you shocked when you when you saw that muddy waters was playing a small club you know did oh you God. did you think they were they were huge like the the perception yeah. like that i get from my english friends was like so when we come over we thought how wolf would yeah. be selling out arenas and playing huge and they, they weren't not. you know was There's it bars shocking? and pubs yeah it was uh yeah it was an eye-opener it really was um to me there were gods really um, yeah, total before super, before the word superstar, and still, you know, I can listen to these guys any time of day or night. 
anytime. Muddy was, I had a chance meeting with Muddy. I'll never forget, he's a short guy shaking his hand in a place, a club called Dingwalls in Camden in London. Uh, and he had yes. a jacket on, the little hat. And he just, oh my God, his skin. It was this, I don't know if he passed some energy into me, but it was just a, one of the unforgettable moments in my life of meeting heroes. I, I got to meet Willie Dixon when I was a kid. Oh, the songwriter, and Lennon and I, McCartney of chess. Yes. And it was playing a club in LA. Um, I was out there for a showcase and, and uh, it was with Buddy Guy. And so I'm 12 years old and I come off stage and this giant of a man with a name cane. droppers. We should call this fucking name. Oh, yes. But that's two, two <laughs> it, immense names. Willie Dixon, Buddy. Oh, my God. You know, the unsung hero of uh, inspiration for Jimi Hendrix, you know, I love, and he's still kicking ass and scorching guitar. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, as a singer, you know, when I, when I listen to you sing and I listen to Rod Stewart sing and I listen to the, the great rock frontmen, there's, there's a phrasing, there's a range, there's a tonality and, and this, this almost infinite control over your voice. And it seemed to have percolated in the late, mid to late 70s into the 80s. Yeah. And by, I would say, 92, with the exception of a few Chris yeah, Cornells yeah. of the world, that, that style of singing and, and that, with that range of being low to high, Whisper it, to a what screen. happened? Uh, well, well, I don't know. It's just I've always challenged myself as a singer. I've always written. So and of course, those songs become more challenging as you get older. But that was always yes. the thing. I wanted, just like you, you don't want to go over the same thing. You want to fire, you know, up the, the, the F1 and, you know, the Formula One and right. scorch and see where you go. Audience and band are an immense part of that that helps inspire and motivate for you to express at your best and go to places that maybe you didn't go to before. You know, mine was trying to emulate as, as a relatively young guy before it was bastardized with cigarettes and alcohol. Um, okay. I had this pure, pure British choir boy voice, you know, uh, and I was, I was closer when I sang the sheet music of a Spencer Davis record to Stevie Winwood, believe it or not, than my other heroes, which started with uh, Joe Cocker, who was the, like the first white singer in the UK to be accepted as, as, as singing and sounding like an African-American guy. You know, Ray yeah. Charles, my God, he was like Ray Charles in a Sheffield persona, you know? Um, yeah. But I didn't know about the, you know, to me, they're just miraculous and still are, but I didn't know any of the technical stuff like the, the Howling Wolf's mic just could not handle the power, the sheer power, he's a big man. And so there'd be a distortion as well as like all gritty, but there'd be that extra distortion that the mic added to the recording, you know? Um, and I would try to recreate that. And the only way I could do it was literally using my whole body, the whole diaphragm. It's a huge physical effort to pull up this big bastard of a voice that I've been blessed with. Did you have any formal training, like as a singer? Or did as you just artist, kind of no, no, find that? No. 
I was offered it's five right. pounds to front the the, uh, the church choir, and which I passed on. I had no idea how big five pounds could have been at that time. You know, uh, this pure voice. No, my whole ambition through till my till I'd started art college uh, was to be an artist. Um, I'm involved now with a fabulous yeah. art director in London, who's also our uh, A&R guy for uh, Rhino, a guy called Hugh Gilmore, um, and. I'll scribble, you know, I'll scribble stuff down and it'll perfect it, uh, T-shirt designs or whatever. But I would spend three months on a painting, Joe, and have people go, oh, it's very nice, David, but what are you trying to say? Whereas when I sang, I could express immediately I was feeling celebratory, I was feeling miserable. You know, it, it's such an extraordinary, right. you know, my encouragement every right. day on social media is to people express themselves. Don't hold it in. It's don't suffocate it. If you're with people who suffocate whatever you, if you're a poet, an artist, a singer, or whatever, it's why I won't do these judging contests. You know, I'm not going to say anything. I try to encourage right. people yeah. to spread their wings, you know, not disparage, you know, go for it. Express yourself. It's the huge. Do you think Bob Dylan or Tom Waits? would make it past uh, the, the, the audition process for American Idol or uh, The Voice? Well, I never watch them, so I, I don't know. So, but they'd certainly, right. pass, they'd certainly pass the audition it, for me. I fucking adore Dylan and Tom. Right, no kidding. Is it first one oh, of my yeah, guide, no one of the uh, guide vocals for the Hero Go Again, the original Hero Go Again, with, I did with Bernie. Uh, Bernadette right. um, was um, listening to Tom Waits on the old gramophone, you know, just busking words. <laughs> I only had part of the song written, uh, and that's on right. Boxes Hikes, I think, you know. Um, but Tom Waits, I think, is amazing. Uh, there are certain uh, records I can't play at home because my wife can't embrace the, the guttural aspect of the country blues, you know, John Lee right. Hooker. Uh, that kind of stuff to me, which I think is just gorgeous. So as soon as she goes shopping, that's on in the house. Sorry, housekeeper. Right. You know, <laughs> sorry, kitties. <laughs> so, but it's all expression. You know, um, so I read. You I read. Do. It's what you do. It's when you sing. Hundred percent. When you play, it's a different conversation uh, than you can ever have with anybody else. The conversation you have with musicians and an audience, and and that's what it is. You're telling fucking stories. You know, and yeah. some people tell amazing stories and some people it's uh, the negligible, you know, the end. How, how important is it to connect as a, as, a, as a singer to the lyric? You know, like look at a lyric sheet and go, does, does this mean something to me? Because there, there are times when you're songwriting, like well, these words sound good together and they're kind of they're kind of cool and they're hooky. But if you, you know, it's like how hooky how, or how, hooky. Yeah, hooky or hooky doesn't matter. <laughs> No, you know? they're, they're all, uh, it's like a diary for me. My, uh, this, they're all, I just don't name names. That's the difference between me and country, you know? <laughs> I just don't know, know, name right. names, but they're all legitimate experiences that I've had and also the search for direction songs that I've had. And, you know, it's all got to have that expressive aspect. So I'd consider myself more a blues and soul singer than a pop singer, you know? Right. An expressionist. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you, I think you hear it a certain way and then the audience hears it a certain way. Like I've written songs that 
was supposed to be sad and and melancholy and, and people play them at weddings and bar mitzvahs and i'm like ah uh, i'm okay with that well at least i really play am them. very okay with that <laughs> and that's absolutely fine whatever they do with it as long as it brings them joy you know, I think of a lot of songs as uh, friends that you can stick in your pocket or put in your backpack and take on your journey with you and, and pull them out whenever you need to be reminded that, you know, you're not alone. Yeah. Did somebody you start know, I mean, you, you, violins and somebody really started that. playing violins? I swear to God. <laughs> so i mean you you've written so many big songs i mean i just i just jotted down all this you know like you, you're part of fool for your loving here i go again is this love judgment day crying in the rain it, the list goes on and on i mean it's 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 it, you know a, a white snake show you could literally play two hours of every song you've been on the radio and and then just go thank you very much and 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 you know you know good night what was the one song that you wrote? You go, this is going to connect. This is a smash. None. But it didn't. None of them. None of them. Um, <laughs> we wrote pretty much Fool for Your Loving was uh, for B.B. King originally when he was working with the Crusaders. And I'm right. Okay. Church, God rest his soul. We're at Ridge Farm Studios outside of London. Uh, and it was going to be like a demo, you know, and Martin Birch and I sat mm -hmm. together up to each other and went, it's a bit fucking good. <laughs> so literally, right. give it a BB. I'm so sorry, Riley. Um, we, <laughs> we kept that. And that was our first big kind of international hit. Um, here I go again. The lyrics are about my first, uh, the breakdown of my first marriage. Everybody right. I meet, everybody I talk to has a hero go again story, which came at a particular time right. in their lives, mostly, you know, from the MTV video, but, you know, the 87 version. Uh, but it's just right. been you know, it helped them through a crisis or, you know, uh, the, the, it gave them the strength to carry on, you know, uh, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. literally, it's like a big crowd punching, you know, uh, punching the air rock anthem all over the world. And it's a song about a breakdown right. of, of a marriage, you know, really. So right. I just, I go along with it. Let the white choir have it, you know. I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, I remember this was probably six months ago um, and I kept watching these, 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 these Geico insurance commercials and I kept hearing the song, here I go. And I go, I, and I texted Bernie and I said, how happy are you right now? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll call him up and say, oh, just on a big one with Amazon, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's. It's one of those, but you never in a million years would I have. Uh, I, I, res I resented uh, that uh, Geffen Records asked me to re-record it, but they were right on the money. You can teach an old snake new tricks, you know, and it's probably the number one song in the White Snake canon, really. Uh, and all because, uh, right. they, you know, and my guitar player, an amazing player called John Sykes, he wasn't up for it, you know. We didn't re-record. We had right. enough material for a whole album, original material for a whole album. And, uh, and, and well, the success speaks for itself, you know. Thank God, you know. Was it like they, 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 they heard it as a single and they wanted it to sonically match the, 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 the rest know, of the record? I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, I do know that we had to replace uh, Adrian Vandenberg, replace John Solo after John and I separated. 
uh, because the solo right. just didn't didn't continue the theme of the song. It wasn't, you know, it was like an, a pissed off, you know, didn't want to do it kind of thing. So uh, sadly that had to, uh, to be changed. Um, but no, I've been insanely lucky for somebody who considers himself a 70s album artist and having hit singles, it's ridiculous. It's, I've never sat there, right. I wrote, is this love for Tina Turner? And it was Geffen again, right. he said, no, no, you're keeping that. And it was like really uncomfortable for me. You know, the only thing I'd done, like whole slow stuff was Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, the Bobby Blanchium. Um, right. But the, the other things I'd be writing, here we go again, and oh my God, I better bring the band in, Love Ain't No Stranger. Oh my God, I better bring the band in. You know, this, it became, yeah, one of the styles of why one of the elements that uh, made White Snake unique—that whisper to a scream, you know—the soft aspect going into the punchy guitars and drums and big choruses and stuff. But the integrity you always maintain. I, I can't, I can't do something I don't feel or haven't experienced. Right. You know, I don't. You know, it's very interesting. I, I have, <coughs> I have no idea what I do with somebody else's lyric. <laughs> Unless it, it yes. spoke my language, you know, unless it, it talked to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you know, it's like, like, I remember hearing, you know, I remember hearing, um, you know, you know, ain't no love in the heart of the city, white snakes version first. Yeah. And then as I went down the Bobby Bland catalog, I'm oh, like, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, it was such a, it was such a great, you know, interpretation of that song, you know, and, and you, and you, Mickey, yeah, Mickey Moody and I arranged that to test. It was the height of punk in London as we had been given peanuts yeah. to put a band together. Uh, Bernie had hustled his way in. <laughs> I had a chance. <laughs> me, I got to see Frankie Miller, an amazing singer. And Mickey Moody was doing uh, part of the band at that time. And Bernie, had, uh, pal, Pace Ashton Lord had collapsed, I think. Right. And I met Bernie in, Ber uh, in uh, Munich when they were recording. Uh, found him to be extremely personable, as you can testify. Um, mm -hmm. But I had no, I was going to build Whitesnake around Sly Guitar and like the Allman Brothers style. Um, right music uh, as, as you and I discussed before and Bernie kind of invited himself to the, to the auditions which was very funny um, and we he's the one who brought Neil Murray in on bass you know but Paul Carrick right. amazing Paul Carrick auditioned you know he came in the amazing Chris um, oh god Chrissy Stainton who, who worked uh, right. with Clapton until relatively recently was Cocker, Joe Cocker's right hand guy he came in Stan Webb, for God's sake, you know. Um, but we right. were trying to find out the bass players are all like, you know, bases down by their ankles with safety pins and Vaseline smell or whatever. Uh, and they were great on the E string and they looked amazing and cool and skinny and gaunt, but right. they, they couldn't groove. So literally there was no plan of recording that. We recorded that because we didn't have anything else. You know, right. the manager said, I've got you three days in uh, central recorders. What are you going to do? Bernie and I came up with Come On, a really cool song. I had the, the idea for a song called, so we made an EP, Snake Bite EP. I had a song called Bloody Mary, which was funny. I was telling my wife the other day, uh, when I did Top of the Pops with this song, Bloody Mary, uh, the producers were really concerned about the repetition of Bloody 
Whereas the, the bridge was Madame Palm and her five sweet daughters couldn't give a man what the doctor ordered. Ooh, Mary, I love the way you turned it on. So I got away with, <laughs> you know, a hand job on top of the pops, kick ass. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but so we ended up going, shall we try that in 11 the heart of the city? Dear God, that was that gave the birth to the global phenomena that, that is the White Snake Choir. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And you know, one of the things I, I, I read that and, and, and it, it, you share a story with um, Mick Taylor, um, the, 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 and the magazine Melody Maker. Is it true that Deep Purple put out an ad in Melody Maker um, looking for a lead singer to replace no, Ian no. Gillian? What it was, was um, I was I'd left art college. I wasn't on a grant from the government. You know, what do you call them over here? Student loan or anything? And my father was unemployed. It was a blight on the north of England. Uh, the factories and coal mines, steelworks, ironworks, they were all closing. It was, you know, just of the time. And my mom was doing a bunch of work and I'm getting, I'm bringing nothing in, you know. So a friend, I needed a job where I could keep my hair long. And a friend of mine offered a job in a boutique called Gentry in Redcar. I believe it's a hairdresser's now. Um, but so I ran a shop there for a couple of months, found out I was a really good singing salesman. Uh, and during the quiet times, I'd sit there and open the Melody Maker. And, and uh, I came upon a picture of John Lord, almost like the Monty Python one, you know, but he had clothes on. Sitting You're right. And, uh, and in the byline, it was just, you know, nothing, no headline, just saying Deep Purple. I still haven't found a singer and are considering unknowns. I closed it put it down, locked the shop, walked around to a public phone box and called the local uh, manager of the Red Car Jazz Club, that fabled oasis of the 60s. Um, right. And he'd booked Deep Purple. So I said, we're going to the, go after the job of Deep Purple. <laughs> so when he caught his breath and picked the phone up and guffawed some, he's called me back at six and I had to supply uh, each part of the office. I think I'm the only one they auditioned. Right. It was crazy, you know, absolutely crazy. Glad and I relived the story regularly. It's very, particularly when we did the Hall of Fame. It was amazing. Um, were you familiar with Glenn? Uh, in his oh, my track. God. No, no, let me tell you. So I'd heard in rock, which I thought was just amazing. I thought it was a great rock record, you know. Um, they, they'd made, uh, the first record I think they made with Roger and Ian was... Uh, the Deep Purple Concerto with rock group and orchestra. So wherever they turned up, the promoters would go, where's your orchestra? <laughs> Which really pissed Richie off. Right. And said, if we don't make an absolute rock record, I'm out of here. And they did that amazing, uh, the end rock album, where they, like Mount Rushmore cover, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still, still really cool, cool stuff. Um, but, uh, so I borrowed, I think it was Machine Head. I'd seen, you know, them on top of the pops and I'd actually seen them live. Uh, um, I knew like Black Knight and Strange Kind of Woman, uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. So um, one of the young girls who worked uh, in this boutique said, oh, I've got, some, my boyfriend's got some Deep Purple records. And, and he, she brought in You Are The Music were just the band, the trapeze. Right. <laughs> So I put that on because Glenn was already announced as, as a part of, but I was unfamiliar with his voice till I put this on and went, and I turned around to my girlfriend at the time and she had this look on her face was, are you sure you want to do this? 
because Glenn was so incredibly gifted, you know. Not only that, but just playing bass at the same time, for God's sake. I ended up, nice. you know, Dave Holland and, and Mel were on the blueprint for the very first Whitesnake. Mel, I loved, you know, deeply and, and dearly. Yeah. Um, and Glenn and I just got on great, the Unrighteous Brothers. Uh, but no, I was unfamiliar, but it was extraordinary, much more intimidating when, than when I played the... Um, the purple stuff. So it was really interesting. Uh, my audition, um, we're just jamming stuff, which is something I really enjoy, just making shit up as you go. I get a lot of song ideas that way. Um, and Richie had said to me, no, oh, you can sing rock. Let's see what you can do with a ballad. Uh, so we did yesterday and John Lord said it moved him to tears, which was touching right. as you can imagine. And I'd already found the bottle of Bell's whiskey <laughs> that I'd taken in, you know, because if I <laughs> guy were with me, it's hid it from me, but the Coverdale knows, knows, and I found it immediately, and, and Glenn found it, so we're just drinking out of the bottle, John Lord, I'm going, wow, this is going quick, you know. Um, they took a right. little bit to, uh, to talk, and I was just sitting at the piano, as you can imagine, nervous, but with the edges off a little bit with booze, uh, and Glenn came over right. and was just singing all these major sevens, very Stevie Wonder, Aretha style. And he just started harmonizing. Right, right. It was extraordinary. And the, all the band wandered in. Then Richie said, do you want to do anything of ours? Do you know any, any <laughs> strange kind of woman? <laughs> just pulled it out my ass. Right. And he went, oh, okay. So I did it the way I would do it. This more solely bluesy uh, and Richie, uh, I don't know whether he even remembers, said to me, that's exactly how I was hearing it when I wrote it, which I thought you know, was pretty huge. And, uh, and Richie actually gave me my favorite compliment with, you have a man's voice, David. You know, dude, you know, give me the super. Right, right. I have a fucking man's voice. <laughs> well, that's. That's like, you know, when you listen to Howlin' Wolf sing or B.B. King, oh. it's like it, you just go, they're not they're, they're, they're not fucking around. You know what I mean? It, it's Did you like, like Hubert Sumlin as well? Uh, I love oh, yeah. the guitar playing. I, I, I thought he was amazing. Wolf just blows my socks off. He really does. Yeah. There's an amazing, uh, he, the Stones brought him over to England to through a ready, steady go or something. And Brian yeah. is talking about him. And this, the stones are sitting around this giant, you know, yeah. the blues. And they look like fucking little, you know, darling little hobbits, yeah. you know, and this huge. <laughs> and when he sings, you know, he's open for business. Now, you know, that's, that's what it has to yeah. be. He's totally at one with the tune, the experience, either the sex of it or the loss of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I always I always say like, you know, singers of, of like yourself, the great, great singers, they speak like they sing. B.B. King to have a conversation <laughs> with him, to listen to him sing. It slightly was just different. a natural slightly different. slightly different with me, I think. Well, <laughs> well, I, I hear your singing voice and your speaking voice and and I always have. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very there's funny, a, there's doing interviews, when we started to, uh, the 87 album started to take over the States, it was very funny, I'd be doing a lot of radio, radio were amazingly supportive, you know, terrestrial right. radio, um, uh, amazing, uh, that, you know, Slided In had done so well at radio, they were ready for the 87 album, you know, 
Um, and right. I take questions from callers and going, oh my God, you sound more like a Shakespearean actor, you know, <laughs> than the guy singing slow <laughs> and right. easy, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> how did you, how did you manage, like, you know, like just say for, you just get, you, you just get the gig with Deep Purple, you show up at Cal Jam, the legendary Cal Jam, right? You know, you're singing in front of walls of amps that are on. This yeah. was back in the day when they were on. Glenn, yeah, yeah. I, I know they're yeah, yeah. on. <laughs> how did you hear yourself? And how did you, I mean, like you have such a great pitch center. I mean, and you listen to it, you go, how are these guys remotely in tune? Because they, you probably did. Could you hear yourself? Like it's, at that game? Uh, well, it was, those were wedges, you know, which when I joined Deep Purple, the first right. uh, pre-production, I went, hey, the sound coming out of these footlights, because I'd only ever, <laughs> I'd only right. ever seen beer crates <laughs> with lights in it, and our local lighting guy would electrocute himself making flashing lights, you know, right. I'm going, the sound coming out of these footlights, <laughs> you know, which they all went, one of these things, yeah. what have we done, you know, but it was just such an extraordinarily different world to anything I'd experienced or anticipated. It was beyond wildest right. dream stuff, you know, but yeah, so there was, the timing's amazing. The guys are amazing. There's no click, you know, Pacey was like rock and Rolex, amazing. Uh, yes, John, yes. Uh, Richie, both classically trained musicians. Tuning was immense, you know, and it, but yeah, it was yeah. a fast stage. So a lot of the time you just, to me, it's rock and roll ventriloquism. You're just throwing, throwing it out there and hoping it fucking hits, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I, and we, when we spoke previously, I was like, um, uh the the dvd that you guys made um uh, it was uh, live um it's called live uh standing in the sh shadows of the oh, live, in, live in the still of the night in london yeah yeah at the hammersmith yeah 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 and i remember having that on the on the tour bus in my formative years watching you front a band and having the entire audience Every single person just engaged on everything you did. And I, 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 I always tell people I've learned so much from that DVD by your eye contact, your, your, the way you present the songs, the way you would get the crowd to participate. And you had this perfect bounce. And one of the things about there's singers and then there's frontmen, and yeah, then there's yeah, entertainers. Yeah. When did you know you, you could you could engage an audience um, with with a, a movement and and because everything up there is you know isn't it, it's it's it, it kind of time compresses it feels a lot slower than it's going by so you have to kind of adjust for that. Well, it was interesting. I first felt that I performed as me after Deep Purple when I actually put structured a band right. together that. You know, that was not going to be just a vehicle for for me, but to take, I felt it restricting at times playing 100 miles an hour, writing 100 miles an hour songs, but that was the significant right. identity of, of, of the band, uh, speed rock or whatever, you know, it's hard to get yeah, poetry yeah. In, at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So I just would start talking to, we didn't have enough songs on the, the first early Whitesnake song. So I'd just chat with the crowd, telling them dirty stories and what was behind this song and that song. Right. And we developed this over the years to crowds getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, 
and still maintaining an extended family atmosphere. You know, not that I, I loathe that separation of, of relying on production or being miles away. I want in. If there's an ego right. ramp there, a thrust, yeah. pardon the expression, fucking I'm right. down there, man. I trust my guys to be, I've got them in my ears. But I'm working the crowd. That's my, that's my job to pull them out of the blues, pull them out of just have a fucking good time. I want them to be as exhausted as me when they leave. So it's just something that, that's started. Just, it, it's very, I don't have any, catch lines or you know make some fucking noise or whatever uh, right there's no there's no preparation i just jam on the moment you know like in, i can't tell jokes but i can make something funny out of a moment right yeah i i always tell the crowd like if anybody who wants to ask i like i go you don't realize um or i tell the fans you don't realize how many how much the crowd oh. brings the show up because yeah. If you if everybody just sits on their hands and they don't clap or they're that you know you got to work you got to use kind of the craft as Jeff yeah, Brown yeah, says yeah. and work the crowd to yeah. get some, some stuff the you know, witchery the, a, a reaction. the witchery, <laughs> the the witchery. witchery. Yeah. yeah and you don't realize it's like it's like it's like well if the, you have a dead audience it, it's like sound check you can play we're gonna play you know but but when the crowd is magic. Yeah. That's when the, the that's when the band elevates to a level they 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 could never get to otherwise. I describe it I describe it as the ultimate high that you're giving all of this energy to the audience. They feed you. Yeah, they're in, intensely uh, important. Of that, there's no question. Number one, they've just bust their asses to get to this venue in the first place and you know you can go well we you know we flew for 13 hours but it, in much more comfort than than some people did to get to your show so but if right. you can create that energy exchange and keep it going backwards and forwards to each other up down catch the breath because mm -hmm. they'll get us tired you know my knees aren't what they used to be so i know there's a lot of people who follow from deep purple have issues with fucking knees so i won't push them to get out of the chair right. if you know but um but yeah. that's yeah. it it's the it's a union of energy it's this ultimate cycle that you know if if and, the, and to me i think the audience is very much like a mirror if you don't believe in what you're doing dude you ain't gonna They'll, they'll be polite or they'll be in the bar, you know? Right. Yeah. And if you show weakness or if it's not genuine, they're going to, they're going to, they, they sense fear. They really do. They, they, and they, and they, they see right through you. <laughs> and they devour you. No, I, we, we were doing. They devour that. you. Yeah. Yeah. We had like a five day run or something. It was amazing. Uh, we had some house record in early Whitesnake at Hammersmith Odeon when it was the Hammersmith Odeon. And all the gear went off. <laughs> and the band's right. going, we better get out of here. And I went, we're not going any fucking way. And I went back out and I'm going, right. you know, doing like, I suddenly became Italian, all hand gestures and, you know, right. saying the PA's out and I'd be banging the mic, nothing was working. So I conducted the crowd who sang Fool for Your Loving or some fucking thing. And then the band had wandered back in and magically stuff started to come, you know, uh, switch on and stuff like yes. that it was an amazing electrifying experience to to just stand there going hey man you know just keep them in yeah, right. while the crew got everything fucking working 
You know, I think I worked harder that time than during the show. It was amazing, but the crowd were just, it's magic. It is, it really is. And God willing, I'll have the opportunity to do my legitimate farewell tour, uh, not like a 10 year one. Um, right. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't know when, uh, when it's safe, of course. But I do, yeah. hopefully, physically, I'll be able to undertake uh, an appreciation and gratitude tour because it's been an amazing 50 years for me. Amazing. It's amazing. And, and, you know, the thing about it is it's a testament to the quality of the music, the quality of the songs. And, and you know, it's the fact that you were able to, that, that you love it and that's infectious. You know, it's, it's, pa it's passionate. Yeah. If it isn't passionate, it's not interesting. You know, you know, I mean, like you've sang those hit songs probably 8000 times. But to those people that that come in in Peoria and see see you, it's like it's like it's like, South it's Africa? The first, you know, you're seeing it directly. Yeah, you're right. Right. Hey, I I always I always ask this. Um, what advice would you give a 20 year old David Coverdale right now? Oh, I don't know. I'm the Edith Piaf of rock. I have no regrets. You know, even the bad stuff has given me stuff right. to write about, you know. And, you know, right. the best lessons are if you get burned. As a kid, you know, somebody goes, don't touch that. It's hot. Oh, fuck. You know, guess what? That's right. the lesson you needed not to touch that, you know. Um, it's so different, Joseph, even in uh, the... How long have you been doing now? 20, 20 years? Thirty. 31 years, it'll be 31 years, uh, okay, so you 89, started like I started in 18 89. months old or, or something, wasn't it? You were this child prostitute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah eight, 89 was my first gig. Um, <laughs> kids, I gotta get these kids off me, I swear to God. Um, the, it's so hard because it's a different world. You know, Paul Stanley and mm -hmm. I uh, talk about, thank God, that we had the kind of success we did at the time, the enormous kind of success. And, and it's still, thankfully, right. I'm still second selling records as you are. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I was texting with Dave Grohl the other day. I'm in the top 10 with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Two right. peas in a pod. You know, it's fantastic, David. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, I, I don't, these are really uncharted waters that I'm navigating now. Uh, not only the coronavirus, but the streaming is a huge, it's the way people basically have music delivered to them now. You know, I'm sure right. as, uh, you as I sell every piece of vinyl we do, we give it the best quality. You know, back in the day, you couldn't get the best vinyl. It was saved. We were with EMI. It was saved for classical records, which sold like 10 copies. Right. And you got the shavings, yes. you know, put back in <laughs> right. the purple record, you know, go figure. Um, I don't know. Just be passionate. Uh, do it really. If you're making music, do it to express yourself. Or, or if you need a political statement, right. emotional statement, uh, songs about love, you know, uh, it's, be it, it has to be your personal blues, you know? Yeah. So, so, so you feel like you have bluebirds flying out every orifice every day, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. it. I've created a life that I don't allow. And I know you're the same. I don't allow soap operas, dramas, all these kind of things. I have an amazing personal yeah. relationship. My partner, my wife of 30 years, um, mm -hmm. trust her implicitly. 
and uh, and spent you know pretty much thank god we didn't kill each other through uh, the quarantine and lockdown uh, it made the relationship deeper and more profound um but yeah. to me uh, i got first thing i did i was joking my wife was in the kitchen i did coronavirus blues at the beginning because immediately it was a right. piss off that I couldn't tour, you know, and I'm going, fuck yeah, off, yeah. fuck off. We yeah. don't want you anymore, you know. Um, yeah. And that just became like viral out there. And it was like 30 seconds or something. Uh, but, you know, just do what you feel or you can't sell it. I can't sell yeah. stuff I don't I have no attachment to. You know, I listen yeah. to Sinatra, Pavarotti, and, and, and just these unique voices, the phrasing of Sinatra that's like just behind the beat. You know, it's one of the sexiest, uh, and I've got his autograph, I don't know whether I ever told you. Um, I, think, I think your partner's father would add something to do with Frank, didn't he? My manager of 30 years, we're, yeah. we're at 30 years now, um, he, his father managed Frank Sinatra, yeah. and, and my manager remembers meeting you Oh, in Fort um, Lauderdale. I, oh, I, my I, God. Maybe. With Shirley MacLaine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, Frank. That's right. Sounds about right for Elliot. Only yeah. the Lonely CD, which is, you know, one of my favorites. Um, and, you know, I'm standing next to Shirley MacLaine as Frank goes on stage and he looks at me and goes, blah, 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 here I go again. You know, drums on the wall. Here I go again. Well, I turned around and said, a right. grand yeah. says, I'll do Shirl, you know, <laughs> who was like in a race. <laughs> yeah, right. God bless her. It was just an amazing night for me. What a legend, you know. And I can listen to him any time of day or night. Star stars take the air out of the room. There's just a yeah. certain quality, you know. Yeah. You, you get in the room with Sinatra, and yeah. um, my only my only Sinatra stories. I saw him one time. I was thirteen or fourteen at the Pepsi Arena in Albany. Uh -huh. He was long gone before the end of the show. Our family was invited back, including my Italian grandmother, who, who she she lived a very happy life after seeing. And the only thing I remember about the, the, the gig, other than the fact that he was brilliant, yeah. was Frank's, the late Frank Sinatra Jr. Oh, taking a Chevis Regal bottle, pouring it down the drain and filling the jack daniels bottle into the chevis bottle because <laughs> chevis was the sponsor of the tour well we used to leave all the booze for the crew you know apart from bernie right <laughs> right, right and bernie yeah, invited yeah. us all out to a cocktail party we'd go what <laughs> uh david thank you so much for being here man oh, I, 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 pleasure. Pleasure, I, sir. You, you are you're 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 a, a, a true gentleman and i'm honored to call you a friend but but really musically as, as a as a as a as a musician i just it's just i very rarely get to hang out with superstars and you know it's it, i'm a blues guy we don't we don't do oh, that no. but thank Are you, you thank you you me. got it all you got it all going joseph it's an honor to know you sir god bless and stay thank safe you. well god bless ladies and gentlemen the great david coverdale thank you for watching until next time